If you aren't a pirate yourself, you likely know somebody who is. Arr, shiver me timbers. No, not that kind of piracy. I'm talking about the illegal duplication of copyrighted material. The pirating of DVDs and CDs is sort of before my time, since streaming services rendered those shiny discs obsolete in the early 2000s. But the practice of piracy didn't sink with that ship. Say I really, really want to watch Back to the Future, but I don't want to rent it for $3.99. I would just find the bootleg version on YouTube, hope the picture isn't too grainy, and watch it for free. I'm profiting from the dopamine rush and highbrow intellectual stimulation of Back to the Future, but its creator isn't getting anything in return. Now, you might be wondering what piracy has to do with environmental justice. Well, it turns out that a new gang of pirates is roaming the metaphorical seas. I'm talking about biopiracy, also known as scientific colonialism. This pernicious type of intellectual property violation has existed for centuries, but it's only been granted a label in the past few decades. The Yale 360 Environmental Magazine defines biopiracy as the exploitation of indigenous knowledge and biological resources without permission. Essentially, we're seeing Western and European scientists claiming the findings and practices of indigenous communities as their own and benefiting from these discoveries without compensating or acknowledging the true discoverers. Let's delve into one example of biopiracy that unfolded in the 1990s. I should note that an article published in the Yale 360 Environmental Magazine served as the inspiration for this episode's story. In 1979, a naturalist named Thomas Boone Hallberg journeyed to a small indigenous village in Oaxaca, Mexico. What he found there would bring some scientists together, drive others apart, and confirm what once seemed like a far-fetched agricultural fantasy as reality. In the dry, depleted soil of this indigenous Mexican village, maize sprouted 20 feet high, even though the locals didn't fertilize it at all. But it gets even weirder. This next detail sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, maybe Back to the Future Part 2. The maze grew above ground roots that covered themselves in slime right before the harvest began. Did the secret to this plant's ability to thrive in infertile soil have something to do with the strange goop and the aerial roots? Hallberg suspected that the plant, no, no, it was too outlandish to be true. Hallberg flew home and didn't return to the little village with the strange maze. Until he did, 13 years later. He couldn't stop thinking about his theory. Scientists around the globe were searching for a solution to the high demand for fertilizer. Synthetic nitrogen fertilizer, the gold standard, contributes to more than 2% of global greenhouse gas emissions. When it runs off into waterways, it causes harmful algae blooms. In order to produce fertilizer, manufacturers have to convert gaseous nitrogen into liquid ammonia that can be applied directly to plants. Hallberg thought that maybe 
Just maybe the flourishing maze he witnessed in Oaxaca was fixing its own nitrogen, meaning it could extract nitrogen from the atmosphere and convert it into a form that it used to fertilize itself. If his suspicions were confirmed, they could solve the fertilizer crisis. A game changer for farmers and environmentalists all over the world. So in 1992, Hallberg returned to marvel at the mucus-covered miracle maze with a group of Mexican scientists. One microbiologist on the expedition took a sample of the slime covering the maze's aerial roots and analyzed it back at his lab. The scientist, named Ronald Ferreira Serrato, proved that the maze did indeed fix nitrogen from the atmosphere. Two decades later, scientists found that bacteria which flourished in the oxygen-deprived environment within the maze's mucus convert gaseous nitrogen into usable fertilizer for the plant. As you can imagine, the scientific community got really, really excited about this maze. If the self-fertilizing plant were bred commercially, it could potentially save the $24.4 billion the U.S. spends on fertilizer, lime, and soil conditioner every year. Not to mention, it could save the planet. Or at least significantly mitigate fertilizer-related greenhouse gas emissions and harmful algae blooms. Sounds like a victory, right? Not quite. Amongst the plethora of articles and scientific reports published about this phenomenal breed of maize and the remarkable researchers who discovered it, not one article gave due credit to Tontepec, the indigenous villity in Oaxaca that bred the maize in the first place. The Nagoya Protocol is a legal agreement that is supposed to ensure that indigenous communities are fairly compensated and recognized for traditional ecological knowledge and scientific findings. The promises outlined in the Nagoya Protocol are easy to make when everything is hypothetical, but when scientists came across that self-fertilizing maze, the situation got all too real. If the plant's nitrogen-fixing properties can be replicated and inserted into the DNA of crops around the globe, the profits could potentially be worth multiple millions of dollars. How much of that money would go to the indigenous village that's home to the maze? How can we protect their rights to the plant and their local land? And is it even fair for the community in which the maze is found to collect all the profit from the plant's commercialization when neighboring villages with identical maize don't get compensated at all? How much money should go to the scientific researchers who analyze the maze? We want to make sure that they don't get all of the credit and all of the rewards, but on the other hand, if too many restrictions are placed on scientists' ability to share and profit from the traditional ecological knowledge of indigenous groups, we could be holding back scientific progress. Lots of questions. As it turns out, a member of the indigenous Oaxacan village actually invited the scientists to examine the maze back in 1992. This community member named Juan Bernal said, quote, The idea was for more scientists to see our maze and to encourage more research. The company that planned to commercialize that maze was Mars. Yes, that Mars, the Mars of Snickers and Twix. Anyway, Mars agreed to split any profit 50-50 with the indigenous community, so it sounds like in this case the Nagoya Protocol was doing its job. 
However, in 2017, the tribal leaders of the Oaxacan village decided not to renew their agreement with Mars now that they knew similar versions of their self-fertilizing miracle crop existed in neighboring communities. It didn't seem fair to them that they would be the only village to profit, and there was no clear protocol for how to equitably distribute monetary benefits across communities. So, the original village decided the maze should be designated public domain, accessible to small business farmers around the globe. The controversial Nagoya Protocol is meant to ensure that commercial benefits are shared equally when traditional ecological knowledge is spread across local communities, like in the case of this self-fertilizing maize. However, in Mexico, where the nitrogen-fixing maize grows, the government does not regulate the distribution of profit between villages. You can see how that would have been a problem if the original village in which the maze was found had decided that they wanted to keep bringing in the bucks from their crop. Not only that, the Nagoya Protocol might not be applicable in other countries. Mexico has no legislation whatsoever preventing large companies like Mars from stealing all of the valuable knowledge of indigenous groups and keeping all of the earnings. The Nagoya Protocol doesn't do anything to stop this from happening either. One seed expert at the University of Wisconsin described the situation as, quote, a failure on the part of Nagoya and a failure on the part of the Mexican government. If both parties are allowed to operate this way, the whole exercise is pointless. Nagoya is legitimizing biopiracy. Fortunately, when Mexico's progressive president came into power in 2019, he declared, In this new government, we are not going to allow policies to continue that privatize genetic resources of our population, especially collective resources of indigenous communities. So that should give you some hope. Anyway, scientists have yet to figure out how to insert this self-fertilizing miracle maize's DNA into commercial corn species. The maize provides the indigenous villages in Oaxaca with food sovereignty, meaning they don't have to depend on commercial food systems. In regions where climate change-related droughts and erosion render soil infertile, and where fertilizer is too expensive, the self-fertilizing maize could potentially be a remedy for food insecurity, especially as climate change worsens. The maze has the potential to transform us into a more climate-resilient society and serve as an antidote to the hunger crisis. But that can only happen if scientists manage to transfer the maze's nitrogen-fixing genetic traits into commercial breeds of corn. And we're still waiting for that to happen. In the meantime, indigenous villages in Oaxaca will continue to grow this thousand-year-old crop for as long as they can. That is, as long as climate change doesn't make the soil inhospitable, even to the resilient miracle maze. Thanks for listening to the Changing Planet Justice podcast.